John chapter 5, and we want to begin again in verse 33. Verse 33. Last week we talked about how in this interaction the uh, Lord was opening up in real terms a legal case. Uh, he was going to be uh, defending, if you will, uh, giving a good and reasonable uh, justification for him being the one whom John had spoke about, who the Father had testified to. And tonight uh, we see how he lines up in these verses uh, from verse 33 through the end of the chapter in verse 47, how he lines up the witnesses for the defense. And uh, as we begin, we uh, start with again John the Baptist. Beginning there with me in verse 33, you sh have sent to John, that is you sent your emissaries, you sent your people out into the wilderness to the Jordan where John was baptizing. Uh, we read that earlier in, as uh, we studied in the first chapter of John, uh, that uh, John the Baptist was highlighted, his ministry was that pivotal moment from the Old Testament into the New. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, the forerunner of Christ. And so we see that Jesus brings back to their attention these Jewish leaders. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you might, may be saved. Again, a reminder of what John is going to record, John the gospel writer is going to record in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that there were so many things, so many miracles that were performed that they could fill so many more books that world without end could be the, the testimonies of what he accomplished in and through his life. But these things that are included in the gospel were written so that we might believe that he is sent of God, the Son of God, and as being Christ, the Christ is able to save us forevermore. Now in that regard, we have to look at, again, keep reading the way there, through verse 35, he was the lamp that was burning, or a torch that was burning, and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while, or for an hour, in His light. Now we're going to stop there. This witness of John, the first that Jesus presents in this cosmic case about His identity and His ministry, we begin, first of all, with John, and that He did testify to the truth. What truth did He testify to? Well, again, in John chapter 1, we find that Jesus was uh, uh, highlighted as the Word. Remember the, the first three verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then after that, in verse 7, we're told about John the Baptist. He, was, he came as a witness to testify about the light. There was a world in darkness, and still remains a world in darkness, apart from the light that is Jesus Christ. This afternoon, we need, to, we need to affirm that. That is absolute, apart from the light of the gospel as seen and lived out and proclaimed by His followers and the Holy Spirit's work in this world, we live in a dark world, a sin-soaked, fallen world. And as such, we need the light. And John testified this burning torch for the gospel was burning as a witness testifying about the light. Second, if we remember in John chapter 1 verse 29, John, said, John the Baptist says from his uh, perch there in the Jordan River baptizing, 
he looks up and one day as Jesus is coming down to the river, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So not only did he testify that Jesus was the light of the world, but he was the Lamb of God. This testimony, this fiery prophet, this unshakable, unflappable man who cared nothing for the world's accolades. Remember this guy, you know, he thought red carpet meant put on camel's hair and eat wild locust, okay? You don't really get the idea that he was really concerned about other people's opinion, but he was mightily concerned about what God had called him to do as his mission and his mandate in testifying to the Lamb of God. Third, when we look at this passage in John chapter 5 and verse 33 through 35, beginning this parade of witnesses, we see first, thirdly, that they rejoice, Jesus says, these Jews and the listeners around them, the, the, uh, the gallery, if you will, of this courtroom, this public courtroom, this outdoor courtroom. You have Jesus for the defense and the Jews for the prosecution, but the people were there in the gallery, and including the Jews who gave a little bit of a nod to John the Baptist because they knew the people believed he was a prophet. It says there in verse 35 that you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now why does he say that? Because they understood even the questions that they ask about John the Baptist to John the Baptist about his identity were indicating that if they understood him to be of any value in the spiritual life of Israel, it was because they believed that he could be that precursor to the last days. That he was the one who they thought was going to enter to, or excuse me, to um, host, if you will, or to introduce the, the Messiah who would set the world at right, who would uh, free Israel from their Roman domination and usher in the end times immediately. They had a very clear picture from their Jewish ancestors, from the writers of the Mishnah and the, and the Midrash and those uh, commentaries around and the Talmud around the, the original Torah, the five books of, the, of Moses there that comprise our first five books of the Bible. They had gotten the idea from all their te man's teachings and man's ability, uh, a willingness and readiness to put a, a, a further hedge and add to the law around the Ten Commandments, the simplicity of the law. You see, the problem with adding that hedge that they had believed and all the ideas about how things were going to come about and how the end was going to begin, if you will, were, were man's attempts to help God out. <laughs> Have you ever tried to do that? I always help God out best by running way ahead of Him or following way behind Him. I don't know about you, but that's really what I get. I, I wind up doing one or the other mistakes. And what these men had done is contrived of their own uh, senses. Now, I'm not saying they were ill-intended at every turn, but they, in the compilation of all these writings, additional writings, they had failed to remember the full truth of the law. The law was set up as a schoolmaster, a pedagogue. It's, it's the idea of a slave who is entrusted by the family to make sure that the children are ready 
to be schooled formally. And even as one child would go on to that formal education, they would be the ones walking the child to school and picking them up and walking them back to the house as they, during the day, would continue to train the younger people, the younger children in the home. The law was a pedagogue, a schoolmaster for us. Well, what was it trying to teach us? You can't be holy on your own. You cannot do what God alone intends to do for you. The law is there to teach us the Word of God and its expectations that He says, Thou shalt or Thou shalt not, are all put there to tell us as we interact with them, as we look at them, we read them, and we try to live by them, we realize very quickly, I can't do this. The law is not a pathway to our own personal holiness in our own personal strength. It is a reminder of our wretchedness. It is a reminder that we need a Savior who is going to be provided by God Himself. But because of all this other that they had had and other ideas about how Messiah was going to come, they had the, the illustration, they had the, the picture in their mind, they had the deep-seated conviction that when Messiah came, He was going to come as an earthly ruler and king, an emancipator in His own right, that He was going to establish a new kingdom, a new earthly kingdom, and Jews, as the, as the people of God, were going to be the ones who were most blessed by that new dominion of Messiah. Yes, friends, we see in Christ... Our Messiah. Yes, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yes, He one day is going to set this world free from sin. He is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new reign and a forever reign. Yes, that's going to happen. But that was not the purpose of His first coming. His coming first was to establish a kingdom in the hearts of men, not in the kingdoms of men. Okay? So as such, they, they really, because they, they saw John as possibly, this, this could be, this could be exactly what we're expecting. And Jesus was nothing about what they expected. They had forgotten all the laws about the suffering servant. They had forgotten about the fact that the Messiah would be God's ultimate Paschal Lamb. The picture of the Passover. Again, I was talking with a, one of our staff members asking some questions about a Bible study they were involved in. This afternoon, and they were very, I mean, it was very, it was just such an encouragement about what they were seeing and how they were growing and what the, and they were asking about a, a couple of things. And I was just, wow, that's, that's just great insight. I, I'm, I'm going to go back and read that again in, in light of what you shared. I'm going to do some more study. It was just powerful. But it was powerful because what she understood in that moment was that the lamb in the Old Testament, the Passover and all the sacrificial system, those, those turtle doves, those lambs, those bulls, they had never taken away sin. They'd always been a picture of the fact that God would one day do that sin removing Himself through His sacrifice. The Jews didn't understand that. But for a moment, for an hour, for a while, as John writes here, they thought, well, maybe John the Baptist is that kind of guy. Maybe, maybe the Messiah he's introducing. But when he pointed out Jesus as the Lamb of God, and they said, wait, 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 wait a minute, we're going to start watching him. And Jesus was nothing like they had desired, nothing like they had been determined would come about. 
second witness is not only a fiery prophet, but the fulfilled practice. What had the Father done through the Son? Look with me in verse 36. It's a, a more lengthy verse, but just that one verse. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. He says, he's basically, now I've got something else to share with you. And if you thought John was a powerful testimony, a powerful witness for the defense, what I'm about to share for you with you is even a greater testimony. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me. And in a sense, that the fa- not in a sense, but in reality, that the Father has sent me. Let me just read a few other verses in John's Gospel that confirm over and over again that not only John the Baptist, but Jesus Himself was convinced that what He did in his life, in his ministry, was an unmistakable proof for all who would look, all who would listen, that he was indeed the Messiah of God, sent from God for our salvation. Verse, uh, excuse me, if you look in John chapter 5 and verse 20, just a few verses before, we read this last week, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater than these so that you will marvel. The, the works of Christ that were given to Him by the Father to do and to join the Father in doing were all sent and done and accomplished because they were to be signs. They were to be neon signs. That this is Messiah. I don't know if any of you were in the, uh, on the roads of Memphis yesterday morning about, oh, let's say 8 to 8.30. But if you weren't, let me just share with you, it was a fiasco. Uh, I had uh, left just before 8 o'clock. Uh, we typically get the offices open up here at 8.30, and I was going to get a Tuesday started. And, and so I left my house just before 8 o'clock, and uh, we live... Uh, off Poplar Avenue, kind of uh, right now in a, in a townhome type uh, community. So we, <laughs> I got off Poplar, you know, there at uh, 240, started north around the loop, got off to I-40, and I noticed as I was driving, boy, that, that other side is really backed up, slowed down. Not an unusual thing for the morning, but, but then I noticed as I got to the flyover that the people going on toward the north on my side were slowed down in all lanes. Now, it was pre- pretty un- unfettered getting onto I-40 east to come out toward Bellevue, but I also noticed that the largest and the highest flyover was backed up. I thought, they're coming south, they're going north, they're coming from the east, and they're all, oh, what's going on? Got here to the church and, just as I was about to get out of my car, I was grabbing all the uh, satchel and Bible and notebook, and I got a, a text from my wife. She had just uh, sent a, a picture of a, uh, what is it, screen, a screenshot of the fact that one of our folks had gone into the hospital at Regional One, the med, uh, because of an accident he had been in. And we knew the family. Wendy and I had... Uh, at one time lived very near to this family, had seen their children growing up along with our daughter. And so I immediately 
texted uh, my team here and said, I'm not even coming in. I'm going to turn around and go back. Well, I got caught in that because I turned around and gone the other way. I, I, you know, I was just thinking about what I need to do. Didn't he think, hey, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat and more than one way to get around Memphis. But, boy, I just plowed right into it. And I got, back, I got back to the malfunction junction with all those flyovers and everything, and I sat under those bridges for basically about 25 minutes. It took me a literal hour to get from Bellevue to Regional 1. And in the midst of it, as I was pulling up to that malfunction junction, I see a new sign by one of your favorite advertisers I know, Morgan and Morgan. <laughs> you know. Uh, always has an interesting take on how to promote themselves and, and the, the, the father, Mr. Morgan, uh, of his, and his wife being Mrs. Morgan, he was in an in a advertisement and he says something about we're the largest firm in the universe. And right there on I-40, he's, he's in a space suit that looks like uh, Buzz Lightyear from, from the Toy Story. Okay, now again, not promoting Disney. Got a lot of issues right now with Disney. Got more than one issue with Disney. But that's what I'm like, dude, you're a lawyer. And, and by the way, you're an aging lawyer. <laughs> they are not sending you into space, okay? You say, what's that have to do with this? Because they have proven themselves, they think, because they've won so many cases and they've grown so large and they have such a, a, a litany of lawyers to come and help you at any point. And what I'm telling you is that Jesus Christ is saying to these listeners, if you'll look, what I'm doing is obviously Messiah work. This is God-ordained. You don't have to doubt. I am, but anything and everything you've seen before, I'm the greatest hope in the universe. And you need to listen to me. My works testify. And, and it's not just, hey, look what I've done, you know. If he weren't God, that would be narcissistic. But he is God. It's not narcissistic. But he's not even saying that. He's saying my words are a sign pointing you toward the truth. They're not small things. They're billboard size. They're audacious from everything that you've seen. They're, they're uh, just plain. There's not a lot of hardness or, or difficulty in understanding what that sign on I-40 said and far less was there any concern that they could have had. These works obviously are of God. In fact, if you remember chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him at night. Look, just look with me. This is what Dr. Allison used to call a lanyard, something extra at no extra cost. That's a Cajun term from what I understand. Closest thing I've been to Cajun is last night's shrimp and grits. So I don't know. But uh, chapter 3 says, Now there was a man, verse 1, of the Pharisees. That's one of these folks that were listening to him now in chapter 5. Named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. Now listen to it. We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, the, we, if you remember when we studied that, 
every indication of what we know about Nicodemus is that he was a very significant teacher of the law at the time of Jesus' ministry, if not the foremost teacher among the Pharisees and the Jews. So to, for him to already, before the case ever opened here in chapter 5, to tell us that this man is from God is, is another reason that these men have no doubt They've seen, even with their unbelieving eyes, they've seen God at work. Not only that, but if you look in chapter 9 of John, John chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, we must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see? Not only am I working with the Father and on behalf of the Father and He is working through me and presenting me as Messiah, but I must do it with urgency. These signs are not only clear, they're, they're persuasive. They're, they're beckoning for a result in your life as you look at them and consider them. Jesus in chapter 10 of John, chapter 10 and verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name or by my Father's authority, under His leadership, by His decree. These testify of me. Also in chapter 10, verse 32, go down just a few verses. Jesus answered them, you, I showed you many good works from the Father. These not are from me. These, didn't origin These were originated in the heart of God for those who would believe in the one who He has sent to which, or excuse me, for which of them are you stoning me? They had taken up stones that were going to kill Jesus right there. And He said, for what good thing that I've done are you trying to stone me? It wasn't that He was guilty of any sin. He had not broken the law of God in any sense. He, he had frustrated the laws of men. The extras that they had added to the original law that were peripheral, not even secondary, we're talking tertiary. They, they're way down the totem pole, if you will, of importance. But they held them because they had studied the law. They knew the law, but they didn't know the Lord. They couldn't, in fact, because they were so convinced that God was going to be one way, when He showed them billboard-sized signs of His being sent by the Father, they could not take it as truth. Then finally, verse 37 of chapter 10, right there where we've been reading. Chapter 10, verse 37 38. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know, and that is an experiential, personal I was there, I saw it with my own eyes kind of knowing, and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. <laughs> the second witness is not only John the Baptist, but now he's saying, look, everything you've seen me do, these that I've mentioned, these that are recorded in the Gospels, and especially John's Gospel, in addition to all the things that would never be for posterity's sake, this side of heaven, recorded in the Gospels, Many, many more. All these signs that you've been witnesses of testify and witness to the fact that I am indeed the Messiah sent from God. Third, not only is the witness of the fiery prophet in fulfilled practice, the fulfilled practice of Christ, but third, the Father's proclamation. What has He said? Look with me in John chapter 5 again. 
Go back to our text for this evening. Verse 37 and 38. And the Father who sent me, He has testified of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His form. You, that is, you've never even seen what He's shown you visibly. <laughs> it's a sad thing to tell yourself that you're seeing things and you're blind. Yeah, I was there. I saw what happened. But you didn't understand it at all. You really didn't see what God did. You attributed this or you blamed that or you say, you know, even some would say that the work of Christ was done by the power of Beelzebub, by the, top, by the power of Satan. Blasphemy. In order not to admit what they saw with their own eyes. You see, everything that God did in that moment was to tell them these things. Verse 38 continues. You do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe Him whom He sent. The third witness is this fact of the Father's proclamation. He has proclaimed. He has voiced His <laughs> blessing. He has displayed His plan. He has manifested the Messiah in every way. And yet these men would not believe. These Jews. Look with me. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me, He has testified to me. Listen. You have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His form. These were the ones who revered themselves, patted themselves on the back over and over again about how well they understood the law. And yet, they were ignorant of the truth. I fear that modern Christianity has had already abundant, abundant helps to understand the Word of God. I may have shared with you, if you're not, you're, you're welcome at any time. I'm not going to take a tour tonight, don't organize a tour tonight. But if you came into my office just down the hall here, Three of the four walls, literally. My wife is laughing at me because she, she's been living with me for 33 years now and she, she knows that this is true. Three out of the four walls in my office from the floor to the, as much as I can get to the ceiling full of books. Yeah. Wow. I'll say it backwards. Wow. I don't know. Where, some of them were given. Most of them were given. Uh, some of them were just, hey, I'm not, I've had pastors that retired and had to downsize their library and let us, years ago, I, I'm not a young preacher boy now, but, but then they would give them to the seminary or they would give them to the church or, or the church would be, uh, you know, updating and saying, hey, we were going to have to, you know, these are out of date. We've got better copies or newer copies or whatever. And I would, yeah, I'd take one of those. I don't have that, and I, you know, enjoy it and read it. Lots of them are reference books, and somebody asked me the other day, have you read every one of these? I said, no, 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 no. 
No, they're reference books. If I need them, I open them up. But they're not, you know, they're not novels that, you know, that I attend to like, a, like you would a, a good novel. But anyway, I fear that God would, would ever say this kind of thing to me. Not, not that I'm walking on eggshells before the Lord. But it's just a constant reminder when I read this passage or passage like this. We can get caught up in knowing what the Word says and never really discerning truth. We can do our daily Bible reading. Please hear me. I work as a Aaron or her for, for Steve Gaines. Okay? If, if you ever want to say, you know what, I heard Brother Steve say something. And I'm just not sure I agree with it. Mike, can I come over and ask you about it? No. 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 Well, I just want to make sure he's right. Well, go talk to him. Because you're not going to come to me and say you heard something different from me or against my pastor because that's not the way the, the Word of God tells me to serve him. I'm here to hold up his arms. And if I have a concern, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to him. I'm going, to, I'm going to listen to him again. I'm going to study what he's studying. I'm going to find out, you know, what's, what's the point. And if I have any misunderstanding, I, and you know what, I've done that. I've known pastor far longer than I've been on his staff. In fact, part of the reason why I know that I'm here is because I knew who he was and what he was about before I ever came on this staff. And if ever, ever there comes a time when I am not in agreement with him, guess what? I'm going to leave, okay? Now, if I ever leave, it may, it may not be because of a disagreement, okay? <laughs> God may call me somewhere. I know that. Baptists do that. You know, we, we, we do change, you know, churches from time to time. Don't expect that I'm mad. But I'm telling you, we need to be people who, like Brother Steve says, are in the Word, live in the Word. That if you've been here for any length of time, you can't escape the fact that the very fountain of his, his spiritual life as our pastor is that morning time in the Word, in prayer, memorizing Scripture, praying before the Lord for us and to Him, and then asking Him to speak to He as our pastor so that He can then speak to us. There's a dynamic there. It's not just, yes... You know, when he first came, he, you know, he would, he's not so much said it lately, I don't, or I haven't heard it, but he, he really did say, you know, I, I grew up in Dyersburg. I grew up in Dyersburg. In fact, a couple of times he said, you know, I'm Bubba from Dyersburg. Bubba has a PhD, folks. Okay, don't, don't miss that. Our pastor has done the legwork. But the joy of being in a place where he is leading is that he has the, the technical tools to be in the Word and understand exactly how the Word is framed and, and what the background he does all that kind of study but he also has a heart Lord beyond just what's on the printed page I want to know you and what do you want us to take away from this how does this affect my walk with you how does this affect my leadership of the church those are the kinds of things these men didn't even begin to think about these men were unaffected by what they knew. They were, <laughs> they were a mile wide and an inch deep. They had no recognition. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, look with me in verse 38, you do not have His Word abiding in you. 
You can look at it and you can, you can uh, parse the, the, the verb, you can diagram the sentence, you can lay out what it says technically, but you don't have a clue because you have not let it go from your head to your heart. You do not have it abiding in you. It is not dwelling in you. How does the Word of God dwell in us? Well, just again, just reference to the, the simple practices that our pastor and Christianity for 2,000 years has encouraged. Not only reading and praying, but memorizing Scripture. You say, ah, like, I, can't, I can't memorize Scripture. I'm way past that. I just want to share with you something my mom told me when I was very young. Can't never did nothing. I know that's a triple negative, so it was, if it's a double negative, it'd be, yet yeah, I can do nothing. But now that it's triple negative, it's back, and it's, it's exactly what she meant. Okay? You and I can. We just have to start. You and I can start. You don't have to memorize the entire book of Psalms <laughs> in one sitting. But why don't you start with a few verses that are key? I'd, I'd encourage you. Any Sunday, <coughs> you can come down to the front and there's a little laminated card that has the gospel presentation that we use. Several verses are printed right there. You could just take that little laminated card, take it home, and start one verse a week. Review it the second week as you learn the second. Review both of them when you learn the third one on the third week. And guess what? Before long, you may not be, again, ever led of the Spirit to memorize the entire book of Psalms. Okay, But I'll guarantee you, knowing the gospel presentation will bless your life and the lives of those that you share it with for all eternity. I laughed just a moment ago when I was talking about Psalms because one day before I came to Bellevue, I was pastoring a church in Moscow, Tennessee. No, not Moscow, Moscow. Moscow is in Russia, okay? Uh, Moscow is in Tennessee. Uh, but... Uh, I was also full-time teacher at Briarcrest in their Bible department, and I had a uh, study hall the last period of the day. And I had this guy. He wasn't a bad kid. He was just rambunctious. He would not settle down and kept disrupting everybody else's hour of study or whatever they needed to do. And I finally had had my fill of it, and I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write out the entire Psalm 119. I want you to write it out tonight. I want you to write it out in your own. I'm not, I, no, I'm not going to, you're not going to cut and paste this and give me a printout that you typed it. No, 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 no. You're going to write it in your own hand by tomorrow. And guess what? Yeah, printed so I can know that you actually read it or, or wrote it correctly. He, <laughs> he went back to his chair for just a moment. And uh, I, I really, you know, he knew me because he had me in, in an actual class, not just the study hall. He came back to me about two minutes later. He said, Dr. Crouch, are, 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 you, are you sure it was 119? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, do you know how many verses that has? Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm a Bible teacher. I, I think, you know, knowing a few things ought to help. He said, Without looking, tell me how many. I said 178. 
Yeah, ooh. <laughs> you know what every one of them talks about? The Word of God. He uses one term or another, the precepts, your commandments, all of those repeated one after another. Now, he did the assignment, begrudgingly, yes. A few weeks later, I talked to him and I said, uh, he was getting, you know, it, it lasted for a couple of weeks, but then he started getting on his own ways. I called him by name. I said, do you remember what the first verse of 119 of Psalms was? No, sir. He said, I asked him, I said, do you want to remember? <laughs> he said, no, sir. <laughs> I said, well, it'd be good to remember it, but uh, you better sit down and, and straighten up. And uh, <laughs> I don't often use the word of God as a threat, but <laughs> it applied. Not only do we see the fiery prophet, not only do we see the fulfilled practice, we also see again the Father's proclamation. In chapter 1 of John, just to underline this fact of who he is and, and the Father's witness, chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. The word explained fully revealed Him. Listen to me again. When Jesus lived the life under the authority of the Father by the power of the Spirit, what He accomplished was the fullest revelation of God that we could ever ask for. And that was the way the Father proclaimed Himself to the world. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, look at the work and person of Jesus. There's no other way under heaven whereby men must be saved. Now finally, in closing... Verses 39 and following. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. You think by knowing the Scripture that, come, that somehow gives you an assurance of going to heaven, but it's really them that are made to represent and testify of me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Now, if you're a real scholar of the Word, you would have seen me in those Scriptures. But... You are not willing to come to me. He says, I do not receive glory from men. That is, I'm not looking for men's praise. Although many had because of his works. Many had begun to follow him. Yes, that was part. But he says, I'm not looking for that. That's not where I find my identity. That's not where I find my security. That's not where I find who I am. I do not care whether men are glorifying me or not, praising me or not. I want to them to worship me because that means that they've come to, to understand who I am. But I'm not looking for the acknowledgments or accolades. I'm not looking for the CMA award or the AMA award or whatever else that the world might offer me because that's not who I am. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I as God, no, you don't love me, and you don't love God. Boy, that stung, didn't it? Sure it did. I have come in my Father's name, that is again, under His authority, by His decree, He's been the one who sent me, and you do not receive me. If another comes in His own name, you'll receive me. That is a reference to the fact that they could handle somebody who claimed to be Messiah, but wasn't, but did 
their proclamation, did their, their ministry in a way that was in line with what they thought a Messiah ought to be. You, you're ready to accept the false, but reject the true. He says, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? How can you believe I'm the one when you're patting each other on the back all the time and, and giving each other accolades and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? You're so concerned to what, what people think about you that you've lost any interest in what God thinks about you. I don't know about you, but this hits home. This is a reminder for you and me. I, I know that we, we talk about, you know, the, the, the world and what's going on in the world. We, we often say, well, you know, these, this you know, new generation. And we talk, listen, men, listen, ladies. Pride is, a not, is, is generationally indiscriminate. It doesn't care how old or how young you are. Pride can raise its ugly head. Pride can overwhelm us. And we can get interested in more about what people or what a person or even another believer believes about us than we are, God, what do you think about me? Do not think that I, in verse, 30, in verse excuse me, 45, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. I don't have to do that. Why? The one who accuses you is Moses. <laughs> the lawgiver, remember him? The one that you read and quote? The one that you study all the time? He's the very one that's going to accuse you, not me. I don't have, I mean, I could, but I don't. I won't need to. These witnesses are lining up in undeniable truthfulness, faithfulness, and with great weight as we judge this case before us. In whom you have set your hope. You think because you're following along with what he wrote that you're following him. But Moses was a man who walked by faith. Who, looked, who said, Lord, don't, if you're not going to go with us, we're not going to go. Don't send us ahead without you. You come or we won't, we won't be able to do anything. We're not going to move without you. You're not asking for that kind of relationship. You're not seeking that kind of connection with the one who is God, a very God. Verse 47 ends. But if you do not believe his writings that are obviously speaking of me, how will you believe my words? Mm. We see the fiery prophet. We see the, the manifest, fulfilled practice of God through the life and ministry and the signs and wonders, the works of Christ Himself. We see what the Father proclaimed through His Son. And we see again the failed perception. They kept looking for a Messiah that fit their perception, not what God had promised. The, their study of Scriptures was far more important than their trust in this Savior. Their, rel their, their relishing of human accolades was far greater than their desire for heavenly affirmation.
But here it is again, their blinding arrogance. Mm. I, have you ever seen uh, children, especially very young children, you know, babies that are just starting to kind of motor around a little bit, and they still got all that baby fat because they're not up and walking around and stretching all and running all that out. So they're just like pudgy. Well, I got one of those, okay? I got a granddaughter. She's, getting, she's got really, she's starting to stretch out now because she's starting to get up a little bit. But, but, she's, but when, just, just a, it seemed like just a few days, maybe it was a few weeks or a couple of months ago, when she'd smile real big, her eyes would close. <laughs> you, know? you know how that is? Yeah. She just, we love Lucy. I love Lucy. Uh, she, she, in fact, she grins every time I say that to her. I love her with all my heart as a granddaddy loves a granddaughter. But these men, unlike Lucy, weren't just happy over a father or grandfather's love. These people were smiling and grinning ear to ear so much at their own selves that their, <laughs> that their cheeks closed their eyes to the truth before them. They lived confident that because they were looking... Listen, folks. You and I measure ourselves, measure our spirituality, measure our standing by those around us. We'll always find reason to look good in our own eyes. But when you and I come to the point when instead of looking horizontally at how good we are and we look vertically to the one alone who is the Messiah, the one sin of God... I tell you, all the grinning stops. We fall on our faces before Him and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. We say things like, Depart from me, for I'm a wicked man and unworthy. We sense our desperation. December 4th. 1974. It was a Sunday evening in a little Baptist church known as Lincoln Heights Baptist Church. It was surrounded on one side by a trailer park. At the corner, a government housing project. In front of it, two or three older houses that were built long before that day. And on the other side was the town's edge out into an old highway leading to the county seat. People didn't even use it anymore because of the new highway. A little boy named Mike Crouch walked down the aisle that Sunday night And I gave my heart to Christ. I've never been the same. But I want to tell you, never have I gotten very far from this kind of lesson. Because I'm constantly reminded that apart from Him, I am lost and undone. Now, 
pride has raised its ugly head. This lady right here can tell you there's been some absolutely horrible, prideful things come out of my mouth. I'm not talking vulgarity. I'm just talking about arrogance. I'm, uh, I'm not talking about, you know, that, that I espoused to do something that was totally against the Word of God. I just thought I could do what God wanted in my own strength. I've come a long way, and yet I never have been able to get away from this lesson. You and I need to understand, no matter how well-versed we are in the words on the page, we are continually needing to be taught by the Spirit of God. He alone testifies through us of His power, of His presence, of His change, of His salvation. So it's not how many times... I, I love reading this Word. I love getting into it, digging into it. But I never want to be a reservoir. In fact, God continues to challenge me even up until this day, this very day. Whatever I receive of Him is on my way to someone else. Whatever I learn is not just for my benefit, though it is that. It's also my responsibility as a believer to pass it on to those who need it as well. God gives us insight. God gives us His presence, His encouragement, so that we can pass all of that on to others. Let's pray. Father, as You continue to make the case for Your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray Your Holy Spirit would convict us, change us, mold us into His likeness. Father, we understand there's only one Messiah. We're not going to be a repeat. We'll never be just like Him until we see Him face to face. And then, and then we're going to lay all our crowns at His feet. For He alone is worthy both in time and in eternity. But the reality is we need You right now. Lord, well, I pray that you would open our eyes like you did those folks in the gallery as this court case was laid out by Jesus. I pray that you would soften our hearts that may have grown hard like those Jews that were challenging him. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to deal with the pride of our own hearts so that that pride would not lead to a fall that would ever blemish the name of Jesus Christ that people would see more and more that we're not concerned with what the world says about us. We're more and more enamored with Jesus and desiring His well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, may we arm ourselves with truth so that we can address the issues of our day with grace and with wisdom. Yes, we're given the sword of the Word, but Father, it's as much as it is to defend against evil, it is also to heal the wounded. Help us to be conscious and discerning of what is needed at every moment. Help us to stop those eye-closing grins of our own ability, our own power, our own pride and walk humbly with you and allow you to show yourself, you to 
manifest yourself fully to those that we interact with day by day. May you do it all for your glory. And as John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. For it's in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.